entering into advertising is no small task. You've got to get good grades, stay involved, network like crazy, and be at the right place at the right time. But there is a student secret weapon that really is not a secret anymore, and it's We Are Next. We Are Next is the go-to resource for aspiring advertisers from freshmen in college to recent grads. It contains job boards, internship postings, a podcast, an email list, and an index of so many more helpful resources. The genius behind it all is this week's guest, a UCLA graduate, an award-winning strategist, Forbes 30 under 30 in marketing and advertising, Gen Next award winner, a mother, and an inspiration for young talent all across the nation looking to break in. You guessed it. It's Natalie Kim. She's an amazing guest in this episode, and she gets a chance to share her story. Her story embodies tenacity, talent, and persistence, which, when all come together, make a fantastic career that also helps others. Now imagine moving to New York City with no job lined up just to break into an, into an ad agency. Spoiler, she lands at a pretty phenomenal one. You might be familiar with We Are Next, but understanding Natalie Kim's story will motivate you and equip you with a winning mindset that leads with empathy. So follow us on Instagram at EnteringAd for more information about Natalie Kim. And ladies and gentlemen, this is the Breaking and Entering podcast, and I'm super excited for this episode. As well, I am your accomplice, Gino Schellenberger. Kick it, Mikey. Natalie Kim, welcome to the Breaking and Entering podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well, considering, I think. I, I feel like I've been telling everyone that that's kind of a loaded question. You know how you like start a phone call with someone and you automatically say, like, how are you? And the person's like, I'm good. But then, you know, like underneath that sentence, there's like so many layers right. of like coping and like just struggling and yeah how about like the past couple hours past three hours how have you been the past three hours have been great we just moved to a new home so things have been like a little chaotic in terms of settling you might hear a little bit of construction noise in the very very background but um it feels really good to you know be in a new house and new beginning type thing so nice a little bit of transition in your life where are you at right now we are a little bit outside of Portland. We, I, I will say we're just for in all intents and purposes, we're mm-hmm. still in Portland, but a little sure. bit farther from the city center. Yep. Um, a little bit closer to the Columbia River Gorge, which is really exciting. Um, so a little bit out in, in nature, which is, is really nice. And, um, you know, you become a parent and then all, all of a sudden all the big cities you love you're kind of like, maybe something different for my child. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. And I know that the baby, I don't know how old, but has to be put to bed soon. So we will keep this nice and concise for you. I appreciate that. Nice. So you're one of our guests that really doesn't need an introduction. Because <laughs> every time I interview somebody at the end of the interview, I ask, what resources do you recommend? And I would say nine out of 10 times we are next is on that list. So I want to applaud you and thank you, A, for coming on and B, for all the work you've done for students across the nation and the world. We appreciate it. Oh, I, I appreciate 
that and that other people are passing along We Are Next as a resource. I mean, nothing makes me happier than hearing that it's helpful, actually helpful to people. So um, I really appreciate that. Of course. And we have pretty similar goals to help out students uh, to get into their careers and hopefully stay in it. Uh, and I think it'll be interesting to share your story on this podcast, uh, the breaking and entering podcast, pretty straightforward what it means. Uh, you know, we'll talk about your college career and, you know, that first job that you had in advertising and we'll go from there. So with that, let's talk about college. <laughs> you, <laughs> you started, you went to school at UCLA. Am I correct yes. on that? Yes. So you graduated a little bit, a couple years back. And what did you study at UCLA? Great school, of course. Thank you. That's a nice way to put it. A couple of years back. <laughs> no, um, yeah, I uh, studied mass communication studies, which at UCLA was kind of the closest thing you could do if you wanted to study advertising and marketing. I actually mm -hmm. started as a comparative literature major. I was totally an English nerd and a literature nerd in high school. I'm not really sure what I thought I would do with that. But, you know, you go to college and you're like, I love doing this thing. And so I declared a comparative literature major, but then as part of, you know, my prereqs had to take an intro communications course and just really fell in love with the part about advertising. And I think even before, you know, I went to college, I had been kind of primed to love advertising. I'm definitely one of those self-subscribed ad nerds who would just love to watch commercials and analyze them even from a really young age. I, I hear that from a lot of our podcast guests too, um, mm. the ones who didn't kind of like find it later. And um, and so when I, you know, found communication studies, it really resonated with me. Um, so I switched over to mass communications and it ended up being like a lot more I call it all the ologies. So you took like sociology, psychology, uh, linguistics, linguistics um, just all the social sciences. And so it didn't take a lot of actual advertising classes, but thankfully there is a uh, national student advertising competition team at UCLA. Nice. Um, and uh, we call ourselves the Bruin Advertising and Marketing Team or Bruin Ad Team. And I got really heavily involved in that for three years, you know, that I was in uh, school starting my sophomore year. And that really was kind of my only kind of uh, advertising education, so to speak, uh, before I started in the industry. Well, I, and I think advertising is one of those careers where you don't necessarily have to study advertising. And, and in some ways... It could put you in an advantage if you studied psychology or an, uh, some other similar communications uh, academic major. So, totally, you, and I totally you, agree. And I, and I tell people that all the time because some mm -hmm. people, you know, get freaked out that they didn't study it or didn't go to school specifically for advertising. But really, yeah. you know, that gives you a very unique outsider's perspective and bringing in all those things that you did learn will only make you stand out from everyone who kind of went through the same, you know, advertising curriculum, which is also great because you have that foundation. Mm -hmm. But, but I think, you know, students shouldn't worry if they're not coming from um, a spe ad specific program. And I always find it interesting with a lot of the guests I've had on and just um, through my own network, uh, it's crazy the amount of people that will say to you, like, you know, take a year to travel or, do a passion project when you graduate, uh, do, you know, work for a small business, 
do something you love. And then those passions will somehow connect to your advertising future career. Yeah, it's really hard, I think, to uh, it's hard to teach advertising. I mean, it's not hard to teach advertising, but the experience that you have when you enter the industry and you actually start working on clients is very, very different. It's hard to kind of like simulate that in the classroom. I right. mean, we try as best as we can, right? Yes. And, um, to like set curriculum and give people kind of the foundation and, and knowledge of foundational knowledge of what this industry is and what you do. But until you actually are like out in the world and doing things or, you know, working, whether it is in an agency or, you know, a company or, working on a side project or for a small business or something like there is so much learning that happens on the job, which is kind of freaky, right. but also sort of wonderful. So, um, mm -hmm. th yeah, I, I could see why people would recommend that because yeah, like just so much of the learning comes from life outside the classroom. And you started, um, just to jump a little bit, you started guest lecturing and touring campuses around 2015. Am I correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. So my question is, when you travel to these different universities and you do these uh, talks or um, these symposiums, if you will, and you know, do you learn about their curriculum? Is there does is there a way that current universities can adapt the curriculum in a way that prevents or prepares future advertisers in that first job? Because so many times you hear you learn more in the first year of your job than the four years of college. It's so difficult because I understand from the academic side, you know, you mm -hmm. need to set a curriculum, you know, like they have to turn in their syllabi, you know, every um, yeah. semester and they have to- And they're kind of set ahead. in stone. Yeah. And they kind of have to plan ahead for it. And there has to be like some structure. So I, I understand like a little bit of the rigidity that is mm -hmm. necessary, I think, in the world of academia. At the same time, I see a lot of universities getting in their own way because of the way that universities are funded, to be honest. I mean, there are a lot of um, universities that are very heavily research-based, like their funding comes from mm -hmm. the research that they do versus the graduates that they're putting out into the world and how successful they are in you know, their actual mm -hmm. careers. And so you see a lot of universities who say, oh, we can't, we can't bring on like adjunct professors from the industry if they don't have like a master's or they aren't conducting some sort of you know, research and can go that track. Of course, like I'm generalizing, there are definitely of universities course. who who do have that. But I have seen that that case where, you know, like I, I was like, I would love to teach like a one credit course for, you know, I won't name the university, but, and they were kind of like, great, like, do you have a master's? And I said, no. And they're like, oh, I'm sorry, we can't, we can't do, you know, we can't teach here then. And Isn't that crazy though? Yeah, it's crazy that it's like, well, what I'm teaching is like actual industry right. experience, which I have. And, you know, it's so there's that. Um, but so I, it's difficult. I mean, I think like the higher education system in general is going to have to change pretty drastically now. I mean, I don't want to talk so much about like in this like post COVID world, but I do think it, like many industries, it's having to like really think about how it moves forward be because there's less of that yeah. draw of like come to campus and, you know, be right. with all these people. So, and there's so many great startups and you can, you can tell just, you know, some of the great agencies and organizations have pivoted with, instead of their internships, they're doing these online academies. And it's interesting to see how 
universities will shift towards that method because totally. they need to. They absolutely mm-hmm. need to. And, all right. So getting back to your um, college experience, I mean, so that curriculum, it, it takes you pretty far, but it really depends on that involvement you have. So you found NSAC, the Bruin, what was the team called? Advertising marketing team or Bruin ad team. The Bruin ad team. Did you did you win first place? We won first place in regionals a couple times. I never got to go to nationals with the team, um, but we we did place pretty highly in regionals. But it's nice. a it's one of those things where you like get so into it in the moment that I know. Like when you talk about it later, like still kind of stings. Like the ones where really? you didn't. <laughs> I, I, that's why I kind of stayed away from it. I, I did another organization. I just, that team, I think I would be like obsessed and like too competitive yes, and like, totally. sleep. I wouldn't do, my friends probably would have hated me, <laughs> but, um, it, so if, you know, students today, then it's going to look different. The, you know, the teams are going to have to meet virtually the, if they had on campus agencies that, had clients on campus, they're going to have to adapt. And that's just, that's a learning experience in itself. That's something Mm -hmm. that everybody's going to have to do. Um, so then what was your, what was your break in career? How did you get your first job outside of the Bruin ad club? Did you Mm -hmm. have internships? What was the, what was your formula? I had a couple internships. I had a couple PR internships when I was kind of younger in college and like really quickly realized like, "Mm, that's not the route for me. Um, And my senior year, I had an internship at Deutsch over the summer in account management, actually. And, you know, coming from, again, a school where there was really no ad curriculum, I didn't really have a clear idea of where I fit within the industry, like what role would be right for me. And Mm -hmm. so I I, um, kind of fell into account management, I, I suppose, through through that initial internship at Deutsch. And when I graduated, I wanted to stay in LA because I figured, oh, my network is here. My friends are here. So mm-hmm. I'm going to stay in LA and try to find a job here. And it actually happened a lot faster than I thought. Even though I graduated in uh, 2008, which everyone refers to as, you know, like the height of the recession or, you know, like That's really right. hard to find jobs which it definitely was, that was the reality. But for me, so I, how it happened for me was my, it was a little bit serendipity, I guess. My uh, aunt who lives in Los Angeles as well, she and her then husband ran this, um, it was like a stationary company and like design studio. And they had an employee who had a boyfriend at the time, now husband, whose boyfriend had just started an agency like a year ago, a very small agency in LA, um, in Venice actually, called Goodness Manufacturing. And he and uh, four other partners um, who all came from Crispin, Porter, and Bogusky started what came out to LA and started their own agency. And so you know, my aunt knew that I had just graduated and was interested in advertising. She was like, you should talk to this guy. Um, here's his email, like get in touch with him. And so I reached out to him and he brought me in just for kind of, it was kind of like an informational, just meet you type thing. And I ended up interviewing, I mean, it was so small at the time, you know, it was probably like 
11, 12 people at the time. So I like talked with, talked with everyone and they ended up um, bringing me on as an account management intern uh, to help out. And that, you know, after a few months turned into like a full-time entry-level account management role. So my entry really was through a a connection. And I know we're going to talk about networking a little bit later. Um, Obviously I didn't need to like network so much as, you know, it kind of was a connection that, that kind of just happened. Um, But yeah, that's how I really got my start in, in an agency. And it was so small and wonderful as a first experience. Like I'm such a big proponent of people starting at small agencies because I just think it's like one of those learning experiences that is like talk about learn by doing, you know, it's like you kind of just are thrown in in the best way possible. And you have that kind of really tight knit family environment to, to support you along the way. Incredible. So you were an account management intern, which turned into a entry level job, but at an agency with what, 11 to 15 people, like you just said, there's pro you're probably wearing a bunch of different hats at, you know, an agency that of that size, um, something, you know, must've happened where you realized, Hey, account management's awesome, but this whole strategy strategy side of things is your, is my calling. So when did that click for you? When did strategy start calling your name? Yeah, it happened really, really quickly. I, you know, as soon as I kind of saw, okay, like got a lay of the land and saw the roles of, you know, everyone, it was very clear to me that strategy really fit with just the way my brain works and how, like what I'm interested in. I think what really got me excited about the industry overall. And so I, it was, it was a journey. I would say like getting in my foot in the door into an agency was the easier part. And then actually getting to strategy took a much longer time. I, you know, because it was a small agency, you're totally right. You wear a lot of hats, you get your hands on different experience, including strategy experience. Mm -hmm. They didn't necessarily have a like dedicated strategy department. Again, it's so small. Right. Um, a lot of the creatives were kind of doubling as the strategy leads because they were just like really genius in that way. Sure. And so, you know, I started to talk more with people about my interest in strategies, starting to start to try to get my hands on more, you know, what I thought was strategy work. And after a couple years there, I felt like, I didn't have the resources and people that I needed to really start my career in strategy as much as I would have loved to be able to do it within, you know, the context of that agency. And at the same time, like I was going through a lot of like existential, like, man, I, you know, was born and raised and went to school in California. Like I need to get out of California to experience something new. Hmm. You You don't hear that often (laughs) getting out of California. New York was calling me, you know, as as it does to many people. And so I made the move to New York uh, without a job, actually, because I, one, had the luxury of doing so. You know, like I had a cousin in New York. I could stay on her couch for a little bit. I could float for a couple months so that I, you know, while I tried to find a job, I found that, like, people didn't really take me seriously when I tried to apply, like, from California, 
So I was like, I just need to get to New York. And when I got there, I, you know, just went really hard trying to find entry level strategy roles and, you know, got really great advice from people along the way around molding my, you know, what was then an account management resume into a strategy mm-hmm. one, really leaning on the, the the strategy work I did do and kind of reframing the role that I played. So it wasn't so account management forward, I guess. Right, right, right. Because that, that happens very often. I mean, people in the account side realize they want to go strategy and then that reframing, rebranding, whatever you want to call it, looking at your resume in a different way, uh, re- retelling that narrative to make that strategy focus. You just went to New York without a job and you're like, oh, I'll figure it out. It was kind of a different time, I feel. <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, I did. And I, I mean, I look back and I'm like, I oh, mean, gosh, I can't believe I did that. And I, I don't know, I just kind of believed that things would work out. And I guess worst case scenario, if I just couldn't find a job after a few months and the, you know, the money ran out that I would move back home or something for a little bit. You know, I, I, Mm -hmm. I tell this to a lot of people, you know, when they reach out for advice is like, if you think through the worst case scenario and kind of just ask yourself, okay, like, what would I do then? Okay. What would I do then? And then what, like, it ends Mm -hmm. up usually not being as bad as you think, you know, that that it actually, when you actually think through the scenario. So I guess, you know, or maybe I was just like super naive, like, and just wanted to go for it. So yeah, I did. But thankfully, um, it worked out. out. I was placed, um, I was working with a recruiter at the time. And I was placed at, uh, well, I wasn't placed, I, I was connected with Johannes Leonardo. Um, who at the time was much smaller than they are now. Again, they were probably like 35 people at the time. Again, kind of the younger days. Mm -hmm. And I went in for, again, an informational interview with their head of strategy. And she, I guess, really liked me or saw potential in me and said, you know, we have a pitch we're working on. We could use an extra brain. Do you want to come on kind of freelance in a freelance capacity just to test things out? And I was like, yes, of course, I would love that. And so, yeah. And then I started, you know, working with them for which a few is months. Now, yeah. Which is now a ad age top 10, number yes. two or number three, I believe this year. Yeah. They're, they're incredible they're amazing. and grown so much. And it's really wonderful to see you know, how much, you know, they've right. grown and flourished and, and rightly so. And so, yeah. And then, you know, that after a few months of freelance, they invited me to come on full time as a, as a strategist, I guess. And yeah, that's really where I think my strategy career started. And then, you know, it was all strategy all the time from there. What type of strategist are you, would you say, if you had to describe your strategic thinking, <laughs> what, how would you describe that? That's really interesting. I, feel like I'm probably at the beginning of my career, especially I was probably a more traditional like brand planner, like thinking about, okay, brands and their place in the world and, you know, how they position themselves. And then thus, like, what, what are they doing and saying out in the world, Uh, you know, from like a very much like a campaigns perspective. And then I'd say towards the latter half of my career and the end of my career, I became much more of almost a... I mean, I guess you would say a digital strategist, but someone who did a lot, dabbled a lot more in the worlds of like user experience strategy, you know, like, cause I was sure. at an agency, you know, at Firstborn, I was at my agency, I was, you know, before I started We Are Next, um, 
we did so much work uh, building websites and mobile apps and, you know, digital experiences in the real world that, you know, so much less about, oh, what is the kind of campaign message? And it was more like, how do we build a digital tool or destination or thing that, you know, serves both the brand and the end user? And what are they looking for in this specific experience? How do they move through this, you know, digital portal, whatever it is? Yeah. So, yeah, it, it ended up being like a lot more, I don't know, something that I totally didn't see when I started out. And But it was kind of wonderful to get both sides of, of mm-hmm. this, that's you know, kind of strategy spectrum. I can't wait to like actually figure out what all this means. <laughs> like when I start my job, I, I start in January. I'm supposed to start in January. And just hearing all these different stories about strategy and these awesome different roles, it, it just excites me. And I think it's incredible. Like to be working as a strategic planner for a, an amazing agency that is just incredible work. Yeah. I mean, it's fun that there are so many different types of strategy now. It makes it a little bit confusing. Like it's hard to know before you start one, like what kind of strategy you're going to be tasked with doing and two, what kind of strategy you sort of gravitate towards. It Mm -hmm. takes a little bit of time to feel it out. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's all kind of the root, the same thing in terms of like understanding people and brands and, you know, motivation, behavior, that kind of thing. Um, But culture, et cetera, but it's just kind of applied in different <laughs> ways and layers. Um, but it, right. it, you know, it's, it's really fun, especially if you, you keep an open mind and you're sort of exploratory about it you know, especially at prob- the beginning of your career. It's probably really fun too to work hard and then to be recognized for your hard work as a, you know, as a strategist. So when did it, how long did it take for you to start getting recognized for your work? And what was, what are some things that you're, or achievements that you're really proud of looking back? Man, I, there are kind of small things that started happening. And I remember one really specific occasion where it was actually right before I left uh, JL, Johannes Leonardo. Mm -hmm. And we had one like last pitch that I was on and it was for like a big retail brand um, that's based in New York. And we went and it was like one of the, you know, few pitch meetings where like I was in the room and like actually presenting because I was still quite young, you know, at the time and actually presenting to the client like in the pitch and, you know, it went really well. And afterwards we had like they already they already knew I was leaving. It was kind of like kind of one of the last meetings that I was a part mm-hmm. of. And then afterwards we had this really beautiful like lunch as an agency at um, in Union Square, like at a restaurant in Union Square near the office, everyone came out because like the the two founders were like feeling really good about the pitch. So he's like, let's bring everyone out to lunch. And so we like we're all out to lunch. And it was sort of like a goodbye lunch, I guess, for me as well. Again, we were super small. And yep. they were just like saying like how wonderful it was like to see like clearly how much I had grown like in this pitch meeting, like looking at me and saying, wow, like, you know, look how much Natalie has grown, not just as a strategist, but just like as a human, I think. And that really like, it felt so wonderful and just the perfect way to be sent off, you know? And I think like, as I went to Firstborn, I had so many opportunities to be recognized at Firstborn, which I'm so thankful for. It just kind of speaks to like how important it is to find a team in an agency that, that will support you in that kind of very individual way. Um, And 
you know, there's a lot of, again, I don't want to go into too many like internal stories, but sure. firstborn was the, the, t- the first time was the time when there was, you know, a dedicated kind of communications person within the agency whose job it was to, you know, get the agency's name out there to get, um, the people, individuals at the agency's names out there. And that's really how the Forbes 30 under 30 thing came about. Right. And a lot of people ask me, like, how did you get on the list? Like, what did you do? You know, and really like the, it was this, you know, communication person coming to me and being like, Hey, we think that you have a good chance to get on this list we're going to submit you. We just need, you know, X, Y, Z information. You have to fill out this like form and we're going to submit, submit for you. And so it, you know, like when you find a team that sees more in you than you do yourself and can kind of like throw your name into the rings that you wouldn't even like put yourself in. Like Mm -hmm. that's really how those kind of things happen for me. I know, you know, there's another approach where you're like, actively like going after those things, which is also awesome. But for me, it kind of always happened through, through other people trying to raise me up, which obviously feels, feels really good. Yeah. I mean, it's probably much more satisfying when somebody else recognizes and, um, you know, submits you for an award like that than you doing it yourself. So, I mean, having that team, uh, having that support probably, I mean, did that make, did that, uh, that influence you to stay longer or to work harder? Um, what was the effect of winning the, of Forbes 30 under 30 for marketing and advertising professionals? You also won Gen Next, the Gen Next award, which is one out of nine women, I believe, uh, for women in advertising in New York. So these awards, and I know nobody wants to say, oh yeah, I, I was seeking these awards or, you know, you went out and chased them. But I mean, if you, if somebody recognized it, it must feel really good. Like what, what was that long-term effect for you? It, I remember very distinctly how it felt because you didn't find out like the Forbes thing, you didn't find out until like a couple months after you submitted. And it was kind of, I remember we found out like in the new year, maybe like on January 5th or something like right when everyone came back from holidays and the immediate response, and I'm not saying this just because it's like, oh, humble brag. No, it like the immediate response is you feel so much imposter syndrome because, and, and this is my experience, obviously, maybe sure. it's different for other people, but I was like looking and scrolling at the list of the other people who were on the list alongside me. And I was like, why am I, not why am I <laughs> like among these people, but I was just so impressed with what other people on that list were doing it's, you kind of feel like, oh, I somehow eked by or, you know, you, for me, and I don't know if it's like being a woman or, you know, woman of color or what, or just me, like as a person, that was my immediate response. And I remember writing about it, um, like in my journal later, feeling like, yeah, I, I you know, I'm proud, but I, I almost like don't want to share it out because I, I feel like other people will think that and be like, oh, I'm like, why is she on this list? Mm-hmm. But then, you know, like, what was wonderful is you did, you know, the word got out and just had this like outpouring of support, not just from my team and the agency, but from like all these people who, you know, like from 
Goodness. And JL, like people who you used to work with or you crossed paths before just being like so well-deserved, you know, just affirming the, you know, the recognition. And that is really what turned things around for me and allowed me to be like, okay, this is, you know, the award itself doesn't mean what much in the grand scheme of like a career, I think, but it is a great moment to awards help us kind of like pick our head up and like look around and be like, Hey, actually like, I've come a really long way, you know, that doesn't mean right. this is not the end point, but like I've come a really long way and, and, and that's cool. So, and, and to be thankful, I guess, for the people who helped get you there. That's kind of how I, the, the accumulation of what I felt kind of emotionally. And I think in terms of, you know, whether it caused me to stay or whatever, not so much the awards, but like the fact that the team, so what Firstborn did really well, you know, at the time, the manager I was under, my boss, Eugene Chang, was really amazing at this. He was so mindful as a manager that he always anticipated both like those times where it's like, oh, Natalie needs like a little extra support because, you know, this one area seems like a little more challenging or here's something that I, I want her to work on. But also those times where he's like, yeah, she's ready to level up. Like, let's do this. Like, I never, and again, this is rare and it's a privilege to say this, but like, I never had to ask for a promotion because there was, he was always there to be like, you know what, you're ready. Like, even maybe if I didn't feel like I was ready, he's like, Mm -hmm. you know, you're ready. We're going to bump you up. And so I, and of course that, you know, that got me to stay because I was felt like I was progressing. I felt like I was learning in my career and getting where I wanted to go. I feel very, again, privileged and lucky that I found that environment. And again, why it's just so important, like not so much like the clients you're going to work on or like the sexiness of the agency, but like the people you're working under and with like, and their belief and support of you. I mean, there's nothing has a bigger impact other than I guess your own work heart workmanship and stuff like that to get you where you want to go in your career. Now, before I um, talk about we are next, I want to talk, I want to ask you this question. You know, you had this great team. You worked at two amazing agencies. How did you know, how did you know that this was going to be, you're going to have a great team that's going to pick you up and advocate for you did you test the waters at all? Did you just read about it online? So many times when I'm looking for jobs or when my friends are looking for jobs, all you really have are a couple of reviews, their own webpage and some awards they might've won. And especially early on for JL, how did you know that this was like, you were going to land in the right spot? Did you know? I think with JL, I didn't know it was a little bit of a leap of faith. Sure. I mean, the the head of strategy at the time that I interviewed with was very like as a person, just very like caring and almost like motherly. And so I felt like she would be someone mm-hmm. who would not only help me grow as a strategist, but also kind of like take care of me as a human a little bit, Good, you know, yeah. being new to New York and all that stuff. Um, and I was right about that. Uh, you know, much more like when I interviewed at at Firstborn, you know, when I was making that move, I I just felt very aligned value-wise when I talked with Eugene, like with who, you know, the, the man who became my boss. I felt very aligned um, with him on a lot of levels. And so I knew that we would 
um, work well together, not just again on the actual like work for client works, but in sort of helping build a team out, um, a strategy team out with him um, at so, Firstborn. So you were able to have these conversations with your future bosses and you were able to sit down with them, get to know them. You're not really going to have that much with an entry level job. I mean, you kind of just apply, you talk to a couple managers during the interview, like what can we do as entry level um, or people looking for entry level jobs? How can we kind of gauge that agency culture? Without, yeah. You know, now we physically can't even go there. Right, so, right. So no, what great can we question. do? I always recommend using LinkedIn to find other people who work at that agency. They don't have to be ones that you're going to work directly with. I mean, maybe there are other people on the team that you just don't have a chance to, to interview with, but I highly recommend reaching out to people and, you know, a handful of people and saying, Hey, I'm interviewing for this position, like really interested in the agency would love to just grab a, a little bit of your time to talk about your experience working there or your experience as junior talent there. And really asking those questions because again, yeah, when you talk with like a recruiter or maybe just like one hiring manager or the person that you're going to work under, you, you know, you're getting one perspective right. and they're trying to get you to come work at the agency, having a little bit more of a well-rounded perspective by, you know, getting those outside, uh, I mean, they're inside, I guess, insider um, viewpoints, I think is is important in order to, to make that decision. And, and yep. I find that most people are really willing to, to have that conversation. Yeah. And I don't know if it's now even more so, but I've had a lot of luck just reaching out to people for interviews or just for calls and stuff. Maybe now that, you know, people are at home, mm -hmm. they want that conversation. So definitely if you're listening, if you're a student, go on LinkedIn and they can either be alumni from your school or they can just be at that company that you're looking to apply for that reach out. They'll, I mean, what's the worst that can happen? They don't respond or they, worst can happen. They say no and you move on. Yeah. Um, and more often than not, people will either will not respond over. Right. Saying, nobody's no, ever said like, no. Nobody's yeah. ever said no, Gino, I'm busy or they yeah. just don't respond. And, so that's the like, worst. And I always tell people too, like if they don't respond, you don't know 100% why they didn't respond. Some, right. Someone might have wanted to respond and then got really busy. It happens to me all the time where I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm going to save that email for unread so I can respond later. And then like I get a, you know, Things 20 more emails yep. and it falls down and I feel really bad, you know, but you don't, you just don't know. So don't assume that someone looked at your email and was like, oh, that's not worth my time. Yeah, you know? it, it never happens. Yeah. We'll never know. Right. And it's advertising. Everybody, it's a... Is it really as small of an industry as people say? I've heard people say, you know, yeah, you know, treat everybody well, just, you know, that's obvious, the golden rule. But they also say you never know who you're going to work with. It's a, it's a small industry. Is that true? Yes, it is very true. It doesn't seem true at the beginning because you're like, oh, my gosh, there are like all these agencies and like all these people who work, you know, but – after you've worked for a couple agencies, it, the, the thing is like people move around a lot. It's an industry where there's right. a lot of movement. And so because of that, there might be like a lot of people in the industry, but the fact that like everyone's moving from agency, they end up being like very well connected just because again, as soon as you step into the walls of an agency, your network has just kind of ballooned. And mm. so that's the reason why people say that the industry 
at least feels very small because you start running into kind of the same faces. And um, mm. I, I definitely found found that to be true. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Cause the, the turnaround and people yeah. moving around. Yeah. You don't know where they were before who they know. So that's a good point. So be nice to everybody. Like you <laughs> normally should. I want to get into we are next. I think it's a great resource. I remember. So you started 2016. I don't know. You might've officially started. I don't know if you did. It was a side hustle before then, but we found 2016. Is that correct? Yes. 2016 is when I started working on we are next. So this means a lot to me because I entered college in 2016 and, um, involved with the American advertising federation, uh, my freshman year, I, I remember kind of hearing about it. I was still a freshman. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Kind of like going around partying, like being a little, being a little kid in college. <laughs> but like, and then I, when I, I applied, you know, 2017, my going into my sophomore year, no, going into my junior year. So I was going into my junior year. I found it pretty easy to get an internship. And then uh, going into my senior year, it got tough. And this is this is a good problem because um, going into my senior year, uh, we are next just blew up, and I remember using it before, but like it it caught fire. Everybody in my advertising class at University of Illinois started talking about it, posting about it, and the index blew up for the intern, <laughs> and the internship index was out, and I was like, oh. Oh no, I can't find a job. Like the internships are so hard because every I felt like everybody was like, I was like, hey, where are you applying? Oh, just we are next stuff, like all the we are next jobs. <laughs> I'm like, dude. But I mean, applaud to you because that is so amazing that every student, I mean, at least in my college, knows about it and wants to apply to it. So applause to you. I don't know where I was going with that. I just wanted to bring that up because it was kind of hard to get a job. So I'm kind of mad, but not really. but so you started in 2016 did you know it was going to be like what you're strategic and you have a vision i'm sure but what did you have that what was the vision in the beginning did you know it was going to be this big i did not and i wish i could say that i it was something that i was thinking about for years and years and years before i you know got the chance to start in 2016 but it's much less heroic than that i you know, um, moved back to the West Coast in 2016 uh, with my now husband. Uh, we mm-hmm. wanted to be closer to family, and you know, we're just getting to that age where you know we did our time in New York. We were good with it. Wanted to be on the West Coast, so I had to leave firstborn uh, in the move, and okay. so I found myself, you know, unemployed in LA and thinking, okay, what do I want to do? You know, my original intention was to find another director of strategy job somewhere on agency. Sure. But, you know, you had mentioned that I started doing, you know, those guest lectures since 2015 and stuff. And so I'd been doing it for, for a year, year and a half at that point and had noticed very distinctly that, you know, wherever I went, no matter what school, what type of program all over the country, I saw and heard from students just this level of, you know, anxiety and confusion and self-doubt about starting their careers in advertising and marketing. And, oh, yeah. you know, it's, and now when I talk about we are next with 
people in the industry, the most common response is, man, I wish something like that existed when I was starting out. And so it's not a new problem. Like people have been feeling like this for a very long time. And so I felt like, okay, let's look at what the industry is providing to students to make that transition a little easier. Mm -hmm. And at the time, you know, and I think still to this day, a lot of what existed was one-on-one mentorship programs, um, internship you know, kind of like pipeline programs mm-hmm. and like kind of lo- local ad clubs or student groups of, you know, those type of things. And those are all wonderful and, you know, really important part of the equation, but there was nothing that was really open to anyone, no matter where they went to school, what they were interested in, in terms of like what, you know, what role within advertising, what they qualified for or what they could or couldn't afford. So I felt like there was just this huge gap uh, and a bridge that was sort of missing between what you learn in school or what you don't learn in school and, and starting your career in the industry. And so that was really the seed of the idea for We're Next. And it started literally as an email newsletter. I just said, right. hey, I'm going to start putting out some advice over email. And if anyone wants to sign up, like, you know, be my guest. And it really took off from there. And honestly, it's just a testament to the need that students were feeling for this type of content. And, you know, it's grown really based on what students and young talent need. Like every resource that we put out is trying to solve some need that we see out there or that we hear from, from our users and, and trying to build a resource that, that can help solve that problem. You know, it's kind of crazy that you solved this problem that universities all over the nation just couldn't figure out for the life of them. I mean, they might have one to two of the resources, their version that we are next offers, but nothing like the atmosphere and that experience that you guys have. I think you have to be outside of both academia and the industry, to be honest. Like if I worked for an agency and was trying to do this, Mm -hmm. it would be hard, not only from a time perspective, but also like, because, you know, you don't want to put other agencies on the job board, you know, like there's just, you have to kind of be sitting in between both worlds, which I did. So I was kind of in a perfect position, I guess, to, to start something like this. So then you, you move back closer to home. Uh, you said you were looking for a strategy director job, but you're like, huh, this email is going well. Maybe I won't, maybe I'll just keep going along with this. What was that like? That's got to take some courage. When, at what point were you like, this is something I'm going to go all in on it. Yeah, I think it was the beginning. So we are next started kind of towards the end of 2016, maybe like October is when the end of October was when the first ever email went out. Then by about probably like early January or mid to early January, I realized like, okay, wow, this is definitely something and just needs to exist. And I felt like if I went and got a full-time strategy director role, inevitably this would fizzle out, like no matter how good my intentions were. And I know there are so many people out there who like hustle like a full-time job and like their side thing that they're doing, which is amazing. I just like could not see that for myself at the time. And so I decided to incorporate We Are Next as an LLC as kind of a commitment to myself to like try to build it into an actual business and a thing uh, versus just kind of like a side project that I did. And I, at the time it didn't feel courageous. Now, like looking back, I, I, 
I, I, I don't think it was the wrong move. A lot of people, I think when they start like a startup, they, you know, work full time for a while so that they have like a little bit of cushion to be able sure. to yeah. start a thing. And that just does, just isn't the route I took. Um, I think it's helped it kind of grow as quickly as it has, um, you know, as you mentioned, it kind of exploded in um, 20, like probably late 2017, 2018, yeah. because yep. I was able to kind of commit to it full time. Um, right. But I don't know, it was it was my path. So I, it's hard to say like whether it was the right one or the wrong one. But well, it's crazy. It's I, I mean, you, you also mentioned like moving to New York without a job at the time, yeah. you know, looking for a job wasn't didn't seem that crazy, but everything kind of works out. I mean, you just have to take that step. And it, I mean, in passion and hard work, of course, comes to play. But it also seems like it's grown so naturally. Like, yeah, we mostly have grown based on word of mouth. I mean, we've never really put marketing dollars behind We Are Next itself to like get the word out there. Again, a testament to, I think, the need that students feel out there. There's a really beautiful mm -hmm. life cycle of, like, people use We Are Next as a student. They graduate. They get into the industry. They still right. use it for, like, the first couple of years because we do, you know, have content for junior talent. But once they start to age out of We Are Next, which is totally fine and what should happen, they turn around and pass We Are Next on to you know, the people they're mentoring, like interns under them or, you know, their, you know, alma mater. So it's been, it's grown kind of very organically, as you mentioned in that way. Um, of course I do, you know, I do do outreach to schools um, just so, so that they're aware, like professors and, you know, I do mm -hmm. talks once in a while just to make sure that the, that they're aware of where next that exists and the resources that are available to them. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, and all, and also kind of through our industry network too, whenever we have someone on the podcast, of course, you know, they help spread the word. So, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, you're right. It has grown very organically, which I love because I think it's helped it remain like very pure and like true to what it was originally meant to do. Yeah. Shout out to Armando Sanchez Monsivais out there. He does a great job plugging it to University of Illinois. That's what yep. I'm for. Oh, he's amazing. He's on our advisory board. So he's yeah. very involved now. And I'm so happy that he's part of our team. So is Kyle Moore, if I'm if I'm correct on that. Kyle Moore is also helping out with this podcast. He's I from, don't know Kyle Moore. Kyle's a Texas guy. So he's awesome. Um, so yeah, I mean, grown naturally. You guys, I mean, helped out so many students. You still are. So some questions now for students to help students because that's what you and I are in the industry of doing. Yes. Let me see one here. Let me, what should I pick? So with the current COVID era on your end, how is the hiring situation? You know, maybe you're, you might, you're kind of hiring students and to be on the council, but maybe like your friends that are still in the industry, you're probably still very, very well connected. How, what have you heard about the hiring situation in the industry today things have obviously shifted or is it looking optimistic because there's been freezes what's going on right now it's an ever-evolving thing but i think people are i've heard the phrase like phrase like we're cautiously hiring so what does that mean beforehand i feel like people you know before covid people were willing to staff up maybe not more people than they need but you know it was a little bit easier to to staff up 
uh, whether it's a specific account or a specific department, because you anticipate like there's going to be more work, you know, coming in. Um, but now I think it's kind of a very like as needed basis. And a lot of people are probably relying more on freelancers, um, or kind of like contract again, because there's just so much uncertainty in terms of what clients are going to do, you know, where they're going to take their money as this continues. I will say that I've talked with, I mean, it varies agency to agency, but a lot, despite the fact that some agencies are having to lay off people or furlough people, mm-hmm. I've talked with people who work at, you know, the, even the same agencies saying, man, we're still like really busy in terms of like the client work, like clients are still asking for work. Um, and so things have been really busy on the ground. Again, that doesn't necessarily mean they're hiring, but they're probably trying to do more with less people, you know, because because they're being cautious about things. Um, I think, you know, eventually things will turn around and pick up. It's hard to say when that will happen. I do think that because people are realizing, oh, wow, like we might be virtual for the foreseeable future, or we are choosing to be remote forever. I've seen a a lot more virtual internships popping up for the fall, whereas like summer, it was like everyone's caught off guard. And so like some people did virtual, like pulled it together, but other people just canceled outright. I think now people are like, okay, like if we really need interns, we're going to have to figure out how to do this virtually. So I have seen right. a, an uptick in like fall internships oh, that are virtual. So Which is crazy because that I never thought of that when I – that was never a thing. Yeah. Because there wasn't – that virtual aspect wasn't really established or wasn't in really a need. But now they're saying, well, now we have this academy started that's online for summer. Let's roll it over. Let's roll into the mm-hmm. fall and give like some more experience to these students, which is one of those things that should probably still carry on whenever post COVID is, mm-hmm. if they're, you know, whenever that is, that's something that can hopefully stick. Um, resumes. Uh, I had a, a listener text in earlier today, a question that I, I have to ask, what's the most common mistake you see in resumes or applications or when students are networking? What are some of those common mistakes? For resumes, it's trying to it's it's two things. One from like a visual perspective, trying to fit too much on the page. Obviously, we mm-hmm. want to keep it to one page, but it has right. to be easily scannable. I tell people like give it to a friend and have give them like 10 seconds to scan it and then have them like tell you what they got out of like reading that resume in 10 seconds. And if they're not like hitting those like big beats of like what you've Mm -hmm. done, it's too crowded. There's like too much information on it. Um, So I think there is a, there's an art to like kind of like pruning your resume so that again, you want to list all the things you've done, but kind of like what, what are you prioritizing or what are you emphasizing or bolding even, you know, from like a typeface perspective so that things are, are scannable. The second for resumes is um, not explaining the value in what you've done, but just saying like what you did in like an internship or a past job, because, you know, you might've been a pool boy, you know, for a summer and it's on your resume. And if you said you like cleaned the gutters out, that obviously doesn't necessarily translate. But if you said, 
that you, I don't know, I'm, this is a really bad example. Now I'm realizing, <laughs> but like, if you, um, you know, like remained calm in high pressure situations, I guess this is more of a lifeguard situation, but like, you know, um, stayed calm in high pressure situations, like that does translate because, you know, agencies are very high pressure situations usually, you know, and so it's just showing kind of like why the the things that you did are valuable versus just saying that I did the thing, because I think that's where you can um, show how, you know, whatever experience that you've had in the past is relatable to what you're going to do in, in your, you know, future role. Nice. Love it. Last question. What is your advice for young professionals or young talent looking to start their career in these tough times? How you use this time, these tough times is, and how you react to it is going to be the determining factor in terms of like the outcome of these times, like what happens after all this, like, you have more control than you think like there. Yes. There are things outside of our control right now, which really suck. Like opportunities get taken away. You know, we're not able to interview in person X, Y, Z. Like if that's very real and very hard, but given those constraints, what you do and how you react is really what's going to get you where you want to go. So, you know, there's so many great examples of people, I mean, like yourself, who have started things, created things from nothing in this time, who are, you know, taking advantage of the fact that, yeah, people are more willing to network right now or who have created their own internship curriculums over the summer through, you know, doing various programs um, or, or, you know, online learning, whatever it is there is a level of proactiveness that I think you can take and and a way to see this time that makes it super productive and valuable to you versus just feeling like, man, this is so hard. And like, why is the start of my career having to happen in these, Mm -hmm. in these times? Like those emotions are totally valid. And this, this again, like being home all the time and not being around other people, that's so hard for everyone. But then again, and but after we feel those things and acknowledge those things, like what, okay, now what are we doing so that when we come out of this, uh, like some, uh, someone's going to look at our resume and, you know, of course they're not going to expect me to have a ton of internship experience because no one is offering internships. Right. They're going to look to see like, how did this person creatively use this time to continue to grow and learn their skills and stay in tune with what's happening in the industry? So, you know, like you're, so I, I said on a panel once, like a little bit, like maybe a month or so ago, but mm-hmm. like, like what story are you writing today that you'll look back on later and be super proud of? Amazing. Beautifully said. Thank you so much, Natalie. If anybody wants to reach out, I mean, obviously they need to go to We Are Next as <laughs> um, that's um, pretty obvious, but if they want to reach out to you or just connect with you, is that okay via LinkedIn or what do you prefer? Yes. Please reach out on LinkedIn. Please mention that you like heard the podcast. So I know where you're coming from. Sure. And uh, yeah, I'd love to connect with, with anyone listening and hopefully this was helpful. (laughs) Yes. Well, thank you again. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me, Gino. I'm I'm really uh, flattered to be asked and, and happy to be on. 
Are you kidding me? This is awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this entire episode of the Breaking and Entering podcast with Natalie Kim, the founder of We Are Next. This episode was awesome to record. She's been an inspiration of mine and so many of my peers directly. It was a dream come true. So thank you, Natalie, for coming on. Uh, Please connect with her from the episode. You'll find out how. And go to our Instagram, at EnteringAd, to see her resources. Got to do my shout-outs. Boo Chan Jung, our graphic designer. Mikey Malarkey, our audio tech. Kyle Moore, our strategist. Audrey Nussbaum, our co-host. And Jacob Rodino, our student ambassador from the University of Illinois. Thank you to all of you for making this episode possible. Catch us up next week with another great guest. Have a good one.